Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guest is John Horton, who is vice president and sales manager of the yacht division with Jack Martin and Associates. And we are going to be talking about insurance for the Great Loop because there are some special considerations you'll want to be aware of. And it's been a while since we've covered this topic. So thank you to one of our members who suggested that we do this. Before we start with John, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. I would like to welcome John Horton back to the show. John, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Kim. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. And we thank Jack Martin and Associates for their longtime support of the association. Uh, We wanted to talk today about insurance because it's been quite a while. And of course, there are some things that people may not be aware of when it comes to insuring their boat and their property that's on the boat for the Great Loop. But to start off, since uh, many listening may not have heard this podcast when you've been on it before, tell us a little bit about yourself and your boating life and your insurance experience. Absolutely. I have, uh, again, my name is John Horton. I grew up in, on Lake Gunnersville in Alabama. Uh, my family owns All Red Marina, which is on Lake Gunnersville. It's a 285 covered slip marina. Um, I grew up working in the boat yard, sanding boat bottoms. Uh, my dad, uh, after high school, I went to college and my dad was like, don't come back and work in the boat yard. And of course, that's all I ever wanted to do. <laughs> so I uh, graduated college and uh, Worked for a little while in, in the corporate world and then came back and worked in the boatyard. I managed the boatyard for five years um, until I met my wife, who is from Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, I've been, we got married and I've been in Annapolis, Maryland now for 18 years working with Jack Martin and Associates. I'm currently the yacht division manager. And uh, we've been around since 1929 insuring boat and yacht insurance um, in the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, we now insure boats worldwide. Um, we do a lot of blue water cruising. We have uh, special programs for trawlers. And um, actually, we help to write the navigation that's used in all of the, the looping um, insurance policies out there now. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really important, I think, when someone is shopping for insurance for the Great Loop is make sure you're dealing with someone who is a yacht specialist um, because they're going to understand the Great Loop a lot better and understand what your needs are. So one of the things that comes into play immediately, we've had, unfortunately, we've had some members get pretty far into the boat buying process recently um, before starting to ask questions about insurance. And we've had a few who found out that they were going to have issues getting insurance when they were pretty far into that process already. So so that people can prepare and plan as they're getting ready to look for a looping boat. What are marine insurers looking for? And what do you need to have to, A, be able to get insurance to begin with, but B, to get the best rates? Um, First of all, I would say that the biggest thing is the experience of the owner. Um, They're wanting, first of all, if if you're going out and buying a boat, the insurance companies are, they're very picky about insuring more than a 10-foot jump in size. So let's say you've owned a 22-foot boat in the past, and that's the largest boat you've ever owned, and you're going out and buying a 52-foot boat. Um, The insurance company is going to be pretty tough on that. Um, Some of them will allow, um, you know, say 40, 50 hours training with a captain 
before they're willing to insure you for solo navigation. Others will require a captain for the entire first year. Uh, my my uh, analogy that I like to use is imagine you driving a car and you go out and buy an 18-wheeler. Um, they're, they're not going to just let you get on the road and drive the 18-wheeler. It, it may be legal in some states, but it's probably not a good idea, and the insurance companies probably aren't going to be too big of a fan of it. So uh, the biggest thing there is going to be your experience, uh, prior ownership. Um, not only have you operated, have you maintained a boat that size? These are all questions the underwriters are going to be asking me when I present, uh, present I, I guess, a new customer as a risk for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but good, other ways, if you haven't owned boats, go out and charter some boats. Um, there are plenty of really good charter outfits out there where you can charter a boat for a week. I've got a lot of customers, maybe they haven't even ever owned a boat, but they've been chartering boats for 20 years down in the Caribbean. Um, a lot of times we can get that by with a simple captain checkoff um, on the boat that they're purchasing. But, um, you know, good rule of thumb, 10-foot jumping size is about as good as the companies are, are, are willing to risk. So just to dive into that a little bit more, because it's fairly common for people to buy a bigger boat for the Great Loop than they've had in the past. Um, so it, it sounds like the best way to get that experience is to have done some boating and some chartering. If you haven't, and you're looking at doing, you know, the great loop in the fairly short term, um, you mentioned they may require you to spend some time with a captain. Can you dive a little bit deeper into what those time frames might be? And if that differs, you know, what are the parameters that might cause an insurance company to say you need to spend a week with uh, captain versus spend a year? Yeah, th- what they'll do, they'll look at it on an hourly basis. So um, based off of your prior experience, prior ownership, where you're navigating the boat, you know, if you're just buying a boat and you're going to do it on a little small inland lake in Virginia, um, they're probably not going to be as hard on you as if you're trying to do the entire Great Loop or uh, going to the Caribbean or something like that. Um, so the prior ownership is definitely the biggest factor on how many hours they're going to require from you uh, before they're willing to release you solo. In addition, there's a form that the captain has to sign off on, and uh, he basically grades you on a one-to-five basis. How well can you dock the boat? How well do you understand the systems on the boat? Um, you know, different questions like that that will uh, you know, definitely factor in if they're willing to release you for solo navigation or not. Okay. The other thing I've had happen to a member fairly recently was that they went through with the purchase of a boat, which happened to have been a steel hull trawler, um, and then had issues getting it insured, which they felt was related to it being steel hulled. Are there any specific types of boats that are harder to get insurance for than others? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you touched on the steel hulled boats. Uh, the big issue they have with them is rusting from the inside out um, and you know, rusting in the middle of the metal. So not only in addition to a survey on that boat, they're going. most companies will require what they call an audio gauge report, which is uh, basically think of it, uh, you know, they, they rub the boat down with Vaseline and go through and check the thickness of the hull all the way around, in a, all the, way around the entire boat. Um, in that way, they can find out if they're small, if there are voids in the middle, if it's thicker or thinner in some places rather than others, and uh, assess what kind of risk the boat is. Um, but yeah, steel hull boats are always tough. Um, you know, older boats in general, we, we don't have a problem with the older boats as long as they have a good survey on them. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, obviously older boats compared to newer boats are a little tougher risk um, right. for, the, for the companies to assume. Is there any age kind of a rule of thumb that it becomes more difficult or is it strictly based on that survey and how well it's been maintained? 
it's you know over 20 years of age most companies now are going to require a survey um, some companies still are at 10 years of age but the majority of them are now at 20 years of age um, so what you're going to be looking at is a rate increase um, based on uh, probably every five years so a 20 year old to 24 year old boat the premiums are going to be pretty close um, once you hit the 25 to 26 the premiums are going to go up um, once you hit the 30 to 35 premiums are going to go up again um, most companies, it's kind of a five-year basis where you see the big jumps in premium. Okay. And th- this may not be a fair question, but can you give us a ballpark guess as to how much it goes up every five years? Because if somebody's looking at an older boat um, that may be a little bit less costly on the front end, but if they're going to pay a lot more in, in insurance, it may not be the bargain they think. So are we talking about you know a 5% increase between a 24-year-old and a 25-year-old boat or a 30% increase? Any idea? It's really according to the company. I would say, you know, at a fair, it's probably 10 to 15% per five-year jump. Okay. And, and, you know, to be fair, anything that John's going to tell us today, um, obviously, it's going to vary a lot by company. So these are yeah, we what we're really trying to do companies. is, yeah, um, just kind of trying to bring out the questions maybe that members would want to ask when they're, before they get to the insurance step, you know, maybe while they're actually doing the boat shopping and, and contact some insurance then. So hopefully we can bring some of these issues to the forefront so we don't have people who have already purchased the boat or are, you know, getting ready to close and finding out that there's an insurance issue. Um, we also, one of the big things that we remind people who are new to the idea of the loop is that typically their policy will not cover them to be in the southern portions of the route during the peak of hurricane season. So tell us a little bit more about that. You know, what is the area typically that, that they can't be in and what's the period of time? Yeah, um, most policies, the way they read is uh, your navigation wording would be Eastport, Maine to Grand Isle, Louisiana including the Great Lakes and the inland waterways of the United States and Canada. Um, Some of them will put a northern parameter on it, you know, maybe say not north of uh, 50 degrees or whatever it might be. But the seasonal hurricane restriction uh, will read, during the period of June 1 to November 1 each year, vessel must remain north of. Um, Some companies it's 31 degrees north latitude, some it's 32 degrees north latitude. Others it's the Florida-Georgia border or 100 miles inland um, is how theirs read. Then there are some companies that don't have a restriction at all, but those um, obviously come with a higher premium. Right. And, uh, you know, whenever we kind of discuss that at a live seminar, we have someone typically have people who look at us very confused because that perhaps they have a boat already that they are keeping in Florida, for example. Um, so in that case, if they uh, update their navigation area for the Great Loop, they could probably be saving a lot of money because they're not paying those premiums to have it in Florida during hurricane season. Is that true? It, no, that's absolutely right. You can definitely save some some dollars on premium um, by getting out of the storm storm box. Mm-hmm. And then we've had some, we, we try to encourage everyone not to hurry off the Great Lakes and down the river system, because if they get to that point um, where they can't proceed further south before November 1, they just kind of have to sit and wait. If that were to happen, if, if you know, if there's a, a great current pushing them along and somebody arrives earlier than they expect, is there a way to um, proceed and, and, and get coverage for a short period of time if you're a week or two ahead of that November deadline? Oh, absolutely. One of our busiest times of the year is that week or two before November 1, um, <laughs> where people are doing exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, they're arriving, maybe they're on the East Coast and they're arriving at 31 degrees and they want to head on down to Florida. Um, when they give us a call, what we have to do is pitch it up to the underwriter, obviously, 
and the underwriter will look at the weather window. Um, you know, they'll see if there are any storms developing off the tip of Africa that are headed this way. Um, as long as there's a clear weather window, most of the time they, they'll let you go ahead and do it, and they'll charge you a little extra premium for that one or two week period or however long it is prior to November 1. Mm-hmm. But just good to know that there are options if you do want to keep going further south before, while it's still October. So uh, very good thing to know. The other hurricane related thing that we get questions about quite frequently and we see in the forum a lot is uh, insurers are going to want a hurricane plan. So tell us a little bit about that. What needs to be included? And is that required for all boats or just if you're going to have it in that hurricane zone? Well, this is this is another thing that's that's kind of in flux with the companies right now because it used to only apply to boats that were pretty much South Carolina all the way around to Texas. Um, they're moving it up in North Carolina and Virginia now, um, just because of the the frequency of storms over the last couple of years in those areas. Um, but what they're going to be looking for, obviously, there's a couple of kind of storm plans. You can have one that's a hauled storm plan. That means if a storm is approaching your area, you're going to have that boat hauled out of the water and uh, lashed down and chained in a boatyard somewhere um, until the storm passes, and then you'll you'll launch it in. Most companies um, will also pay half of your expenses to have that boat hauled out of the water um, if a storm is approaching. So that's if you if you're you know you have that on your policy, that's great. If you're unsure if you do, you ought to ask your your current insurer if that's an option for your policy. Because if it's not, they can throw it on at a very low premium, and uh, it's worth every dime if you have to use it. Um, it, the other obvious plan is you keep it in the slip and, uh, you know, you double tie the lines, remove all the canvases, um, all the cushions, put them up and, you know, hopefully have one, someone there that can monitor it throughout the storm. Um, there's a storm plan form that we, uh, you know, we send out and the customer will fill it out and return to us. It's going to ask us things like, um, what's the name of the marina and the address where the vessel's kept? How frequently do you visit the boat? Um, if it's not you that's visiting the boat, who is in charge of the boat during a hurricane? Who would help prepare it other than you? Um, how many lines are going to be secured? What's the d- diameter of the lines? Is the slip covered? Is it a floating dock, uh, uh, a fixed dock? Um, th- these are all things that are, you know, if you do haul it out of the water or the the, um, the stands chained together, um, th- these are all things that are they're part of the hurricane plan form that uh, that we send out and people fill out and return to us. Right. So if you're, uh, say, your home waters are the Great Lakes and you plan to do the Great Loop, so you will be in the hurricane zone, but not during hurricane season or at least not the peak of it. Will your insurers still require a hurricane plan or, or they won't need that if you're not planning to navigate into those waters? They will not, most companies will not need it. As a matter of fact, I don't know a single company that will need it, you know, if you're a Great Lakes boat and you're only coming down there uh, during the, the winter months. Um, would it be a great idea for you to have one on board? Absolutely, because it, it takes away the thinking in a crisis situation. Yeah. Um, you've already got a plan in place. You know exactly what you're going to do if a storm does approach and you execute that plan. Yep. And up here in Charleston, of course, we need one. And um Next couple months, as hurricane season picks up, we'll start to get the questions, you know, here at least in Charleston, some marinas, um, you can pay a fee and be guaranteed a haul out um, if a storm comes. And you're going to pay that fee whether or not a storm comes. It's kind of almost a haul out insurance policy, so to speak. Um, and then there's others that will take you if a storm comes on a first come, first serve basis. So it's always a, it's always a challenge to decide how you're going to handle that in a particular year and whether you're going to gamble that there'll be space 
if a storm comes or, or whether you're just going to pay for it ahead of time. So we'll probably be getting a lot of questions about that in the next few months too. So that that's always a challenge. Um, you mentioned, you know, the storms, there have been several, obviously, in the past few years, and, and the ones that hit through North Carolina last year, we had some looper boats that were lost, um, both that had been hauled and some that had not. So, um, you know, sadly, there's no foolproof plan for a hurricane because it's it's Mother Nature. Um, but given all of the storm damage and all of the claims on boats over the past several years in all different areas of the country, um, are you seeing that have an impact on premiums or navigation areas or things that are excluded from coverage? Oh, mo- most definitely. Most definitely. The premiums are, are hardening up, which means the premiums are going up um, for the first time in, in quite a few years. Uh, I'm seeing that across the board with all of our carriers. Um, just to give you an example, this time last year, I had six companies that would write boats that are permanently in Florida. Right now, I have four. Um, so there's two companies that are just no longer doing it at all, uh, right. just because the claims they paid were, were so big that the next year the reinsurers weren't willing to take the risk of them riding boats in Florida again. Mm-hmm. And are the rates also be having? Are the storms having an effect on rates around the country? Or again, are those Great Lakes boaters, as an example, not really having any change in premiums because of them? I would say the the premiums are going up everywhere, but definitely not as significantly for the Great Lakes people as it will be for the Florida people. Okay. All right. We are going to take a a moment and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll see if we can get off the hurricane topic a little bit and move on to some other specifics about the boat that uh, may or may not change your insurance rates. So we'll be back in a moment. Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Today, my guest is John Horton with Jack Martin and Associates, and we are talking kind of about all things insurance related to the Great Loop. So uh, one of our members, John, actually suggested this next kind of question series talking about what specific choices for your boat would do in terms of your insurance rates. So I thought it was a, a kind of an interesting idea. So uh, gas versus diesel. Let's start there. Does that does gasoline versus diesel have any effect on your insurance rates? It, it most definitely does. Diesel engine boats um, come with a lower premium because the, the risk of explosion is less with a diesel versus a gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give us any idea of of what the uh, different the difference would be there? Yeah. Uh, again, according to company, we write with nineteen of them. Um, mm-hmm. I would say probably 10 to 15%. So, okay. I mean, it can be significant. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about uh, single engine versus twin engines? I would think that that would make a difference in, in the event that they have to be replaced if there's two rather than one. You got it. You got it. Yeah, the twin engine uh, vessels definitely come with a higher premium. 
Um, you've got two schools of thoughts around that as well. You know, if you've got twin engines, the boat's more maneuverable, so it should be able to uh, avoid collisions and, uh, it, you know, not knocking into docks, bumping into other boats. should be easier to avoid with the twin engines as opposed to single. But exactly what you just said with the twin engines, when you do have to replace them, you're replacing two instead of one. So it's mm-hmm. – um, and also the risk of explosion. You're, you're doubling the risk of explosion if it's gas engines. Right. And this one kind of wasn't on the list, but just while we're talking about, you know, what can happen, what about pod drives? I hear frequently of, you know, those having issues if somebody runs aground. Does does that typically cost more to insure? It, it does. The pod drives, when they first came out, it, the premiums were lower if you have pod drives, um, just because they're so maneuverable and just very easy to operate. Mm-hmm. But then they started having to replace pod drives at, <laughs> you know, sometimes six figures per yeah. Um, just to replace the, the actual outdrive itself because, you know, you, you pretty much have to take the boat out of the water, you know, pull the entire thing off the boat and replace it again. And, and it gets really expensive to do it. Sure, I um, bet. So, yeah, the, uh, at this point, it's, it's more expensive to insure the pod drives. Okay. How about uh, total horsepower on the boat? Total horsepower, definitely, you know, if it's a diesel engine, um, you know, and, and you're looking at 300 versus 600, uh, again, there's thresholds similar to the age threshold. So maybe from 200 to, uh, say, 350, the premiums are the same. Once you go from 350 to, say, 500, you see a little bump and, and so on. If you're talking about, you know, in the thousands of horsepowers and it's not a big motor yacht, say it's a, a fountain um, with, with three 1,200 horsepower IOs and the boat runs 85 miles per hour, obviously the premiums are going to be a lot higher. Right. We don't see too many of those on the Great Loop. <laughs> yeah. um, don't how about, for long if you do. No. <laughs> um, th- this could be a, a good question. How about a trawler versus a motor yacht versus a sailboat? Again, according to companies, some companies love sailboats. Um, some companies are, are big fans of cabin cruisers. I would say, you know, motor yachts and trawlers probably fall into the same program mm-hmm. as far as a rating factor that would be applied to them. Mm-hmm. Um and which is the the best rating factor because they're not not go fast boats they're uh, you know usually well taken care of well built vessels um so yeah trawlers motor yachts fall into one then you've got your cabin cruisers sedans um and things like that that would kind of fall into a different category and then sailboats according to the company sometimes can be lower premium sometimes can be higher premium so that brings up an interesting question, um, and I'm, we've said kind of across the board everything depends on the company, but when you're looking at something you know, like a sailboat where some companies are higher, some are lower, um, how do you – I mean, I guess you know the 19 companies you work with very well, but how does that work when a, a boater comes to you and is looking for insurance? How do you shop that to make sure that they're getting one of the companies that will be less for a sailboat rather than more if that's the type of boat they have? Well, we pitch it out to all of our carriers. So when we get a quote that comes in the door, um, you know, minus the Lloyds of London, four or five of our carriers are Lloyds of London carriers, so we, we don't pitch it to them if it's a domestic boat. Um, but we'll pitch it out to all the carriers for quoting. And, uh, you know, the companies are always changing their formulas, changing their appetites. Um, so we pitch it out anyways, just in case they've changed their appetite and they like sailboats this week. Um, <laughs> okay. So, it, it, and that's how we do it. And, you know, we come back to the customer with it the best two or three and talk to them about the different coverage options. You know, is it really important for you to be able to go to Florida during hurricane season or not? You know, if, if so, then th- these are your two best options. And, and we kind of go from there. Okay, good. A few more on the, the list. Um, electric versus 
propane stove? Does that have an impact on your insurance rates? It, it really doesn't impact the rate. Now, if you do have a propane stove, they're going to be kind of picky to make sure the, the propane gas is secured in a locker um, that's properly ventilated. Mm-hmm. Whereas with an electric stove, that's not something you really need to worry about. But that's that's something one of the underwriters would definitely pick up on in a survey. Okay. Uh, how about generator versus no generator? Do, really doesn't factor in at all. Okay. Um, and then how about dinghies, if it's a gas dinghy versus perhaps an electric dinghy? Again, really doesn't factor. They're looking at the dinghy value there. And, uh, you know, if it's a lot of companies kind of throw it, say, at, at $20 per thousand in value. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you had a, a $5,000 tender, it's going to be an extra $100, no matter if it's gas, diesel, or electric. Okay. Uh, the last two we kind of touched on before we, we started here because I wanted to get your take on it because the, the this whole series of questions about the insurance rates was actually posed as part of a thread on our forum about um, having a portable gas-powered generator on board. And, of course, that thread had a, a, a few different um, opinions, of course, <laughs> like most threads do, um, but, you know, certainly some very strong opinions on this one about whether that was safe Um or whether it was not. And, and of course, there was the school of thought that it's not under any circumstances safe, and then the school of thought that as long as you're doing the right things and using it properly, that it could be safe. So that brought up the insurance question, of course. So um, both portable grills and portable gas-powered generators, what's your take on that regarding insurance? I, personally, I, I mean, I, I don't think they're a very safe option for a boat because they're, they're not able to be super secured. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the whole word portable means that they can roll around and move around. And if you get into heavy seas and, you know, it's just not a very safe option. That being said, my brother has a portable gas generator that's sitting on a swim platform that is mm-hmm. uh, ratchet strapped on there. It's one of those really nice Honda, very quiet. He doesn't have room inside of the bilge of his boat to place one. So he puts it back there to run the AC um, in Alabama during the summertime, which is actually really nice. Um, all of that being said, I would definitely let your insurance company know that you're doing something like that. Um, if it's a gas powered generator, because those things are pretty expensive. And if you want it to be covered on the policy, you definitely need to let them know and let them approach the insurance company and, and see if they're willing to cover it or not. Right. Because you certainly don't want to have one and have something go wrong and then find out that you're not covered. Um, that would certainly exactly. be worst case scenario. Um, exactly. Kind of moving on to another topic, um, are there specific terms that loopers should ensure are in their insurance policy? Uh, most definitely. The, the biggest one that I, that I tell everyone to look for in the policy is the consequential damage coverage or resulting damage coverage. They basically mean the same thing. Um, a scenario would be, uh, let's say you have a through hole that is just old and worn out, and it finally fails and causes water to intrude into your boat and sink your boat. In every single policy out there that we write with, there's an exclusion for wear and tear and, and gradual deterioration. So that, that in itself is basically saying we're not covering this through hole. The good policies have another clause in there that says, however, if the consequential or resulting damage of this failed through hole is the boat sinking, this policy would step in and cover that. So in other words, they're not going to cover that worn out through hole but they will cover the vessel sinking. Okay, um, good to, to me, know. that that is a huge coverage that, it, you know, not all policies out there offer that. And to me, I wouldn't have a policy that did not offer that since it is available. 
Okay, very good to know. Anything else, any other terms that uh, or specific clauses loopers should look for? You know, that one's good. Another one that's offered out there is that waiver of depreciation um, that you can buy for like an, an additional $15, $20 and add on to um, some of the policies that are available. I know GEICO has that. Mm-hmm. Um, basically what that does is if you have a partial loss on the boat, it waives depreciation on most items except for machinery. Um, okay. So in, instead of, you know, getting 80% less of what you think the item is worth, you're going to get the actual replacement costs with like parts for that partial loss. Right. And I'm sure there's there are many other clauses and terms like that, um, which is one of the reasons that we highly recommend you go to a marine insurance professional um, like John. Um, before we wrap up, John, any tips that you can suggest for loopers on how they might bring the premiums down? Like, is it like car insurance where if you go with a higher deductible, your premium is going to be lower? Yeah, the, the higher deductible definitely works. Um, what you kind of run into with that, uh, the deductibles are based off the percentage of the whole value. So let's say you have a $100,000 boat, a 1% deductible would obviously be $1,000. Um, the difference between a 1% and a 2% deductible is usually pretty significant, you know, sometimes 20, 25%. Um, the difference between a 2 and a 3% starts getting much smaller. And then once you get up to, say, a 5%, it's really not much difference between a 3 and a 5% deductible in most cases. Um, so, you know, I would definitely play with a the deductible there and try to save some money. Um, you can obviously go out and take courses, um, Coast Guard Auxiliary, Power Squadron, um, Captain's Licenses, all of these things um, apply a discount with most companies. Um, another thing is if you're only using the boat in the Great Lakes, I see a lot of people that have the full loop navigation, but they're not leaving the Great Lakes this year. Change your navigation to just be the Great Lakes, and you should be able to save some money that way as well. Um, but those are, you know, those are all easy things that you can do by, you know, just calling your agent and, and having a conversation and, and, you know, possibly saving some money in the meantime. All right. John, thank you for providing all of this information today. It's great, useful stuff that people can take and, and use it for their boat buying or even with their existing policy um, to try and make sure that they've got all the right coverages. So thank you for joining us. Hey, we really appreciate you guys uh, having us on here and we're definitely happy to support the AGLCA. We've been doing it quite a while. Yeah, and th- thanks uh, both of you personally, John, and to Jack Martin and Associates for the long-term sponsorship. We certainly appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm-hmm.